Welcome along to Extra Time here on LCFC Radio and LCFC TV. Thank you very much for joining us after a bitterly disappointing Sunday, really, for Leicester City, who fell to a 2-1 defeat at Brighton. That doesn't even tell half the story, really, though, does it? We'll, we'll get into all of that over the course of the next hour or so. We'll talk Jamie Vardy, we'll talk Adam Luckman. These guys will go head-to-head, of course, in our football Jenga uh, at the end of the show as well. And we might touch on the other Premier League games as well. Uh, seeing how we're doing for time. But yeah, uh, without further ado, let's introduce the uh, the guests that we've got. We've got Ewan Roberts, Tony Cotty and Jerry Taggart. So a full house today on Extra Time. Um, good morning, guys. Good afternoon. How are we all? Morning, boys. Morning, lads. Morning, chaps. Yeah, all good. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Jerry, you're playing golf straight after this, aren't you, as well? So uh, the sooner we get this done, the better for you. <laughs> oh, it's, it's not a problem, Dan. Nice and relaxed today. No rush today. Got plenty of time. <laughs> uh, Tony, we've not had you on for a while. How, how have you been? I'm, I'm good, thanks, Dan. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been busy. I was over at West Ham yesterday. I mean, I'm sure we might talk about that. There's a few incidents in that game as well. And then I've got a meeting in London this afternoon. So, um, without having a job at the moment, Dan, I'm relatively busy. So, I'm, I'm okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and just to rub salt into the wounds as well, Ewan is, is a broad son of himself as well, aren't you, Ewan? Uh, I am. I'm in. Um, I'm in on teams in the south of France for a few days. Got here yesterday. Um, watched the highlights of the game last night, and then I'm coming back on Friday. So a, a little little five day break in the south of France. Yeah. So Dan, you shouldn't be allowed to come on this show if you're abroad because it's not fair on the rest of us, is it? I totally agree with our TC. <laughs> yeah, we can see the sun beaming through that window behind you as well. Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, right, without further ado then, let, let's talk about the game yesterday. Jerry, obviously you covered it for us, didn't you, on, on LCFC TV's Matchday Live. Overall, extremely disappointing really for a number of reasons. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, it was a very, very strange game. Uh, with all the decisions that and VAR getting involved. Uh, obviously, you know, well, the first one with a penalty that was given... The foul before that wasn't looked at. Uh, I, you can see why the, you know, the referee gave the penalty, but I don't think the VAR actually looked at, you know, the lead up until uh, the lead up to the handball, which is obviously a key moment in the game. And yeah, it just sort of went on from there, didn't it? Okay, there's nothing wrong with with our second goal from the set from the set piece. But I suppose all the talking points are about the two corners and, and the offsides that incurred after that. But a strange game and, like you say, very disappointing, very frustrating watching it because that second-half performance was right up there. Uh, and somehow they managed to get absolutely nothing from the game. Yeah, obviously, Tony, you referenced the fact that you were at the, the West Ham game, which was happen, happening simultaneously. And, and obviously, that was full of incident as well, as you said. We might touch upon that a little bit later. But so you won't have seen the Leicester game live. I'm sure you'll have seen the highlights, of course. What, what did you make of it? Firstly, let, let's talk about the fact that Leicester went 2-0 down and um, were almost able to get back into the game. And really, a lot of Leicester fans will say probably should have done. Yeah, I mean, you, you always have to try and take positives out of the game, Dan. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I didn't see the game live. I watched the highlights last night. And, um, you know, the, the highlights that they showed in the first half, it was almost as if Leicester didn't have a shot. I don't know whether, you know, Tate was out of the game. I don't know whether that was correct or not. But they didn't show anything from them, from them going forward. Um, to concede 
you know, two set pieces. I'm, I know we'll go into depth about that, but to concede from two set pieces, you know, it's been a concern of mine, Dan, over the last year or so in terms of defending free kicks and corners. Very, very disappointing from that point of view. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of positives after going two goals down. You know, there was some fantastic play, a wonderful goal. And let's be quite honest, Leicester should have at least drawn the game, you know, in terms of what happened after they went 2-0 down. So, yeah, a negative, I would say, probably the first half, but the second half, a lot of positives. Ewan, what did you make of it? Um, as, as Tony alluded to there, had all the possession, but in the first half, no shots on target. Now, you can have all the possession that, uh, that, that you like, but at the end of the day, it comes down to end product and putting balls in the box and working the opposition's goalkeeper. Didn't do that at all in the first half. And you can't, you can't go 2-0 down and then start playing. You know, that's, especially in, in the Premier League, if you do that nine times out of ten, you're going you're gonna to lose the game. Um, I, I, thought, I thought two of the three decisions that went against Leicester were wrong. I think it's a penalty on, on Vestergaard to start off with. It's Mopai who sort of gets hold of his right arm and, and drags him down. And that's where, why he has that movement with his left hand. It comes off his hand. I haven't got a problem with that. But surely VAR have to look at the whole incident. Um, and had they done that, then they could quite, quite clearly have seen that it, it should have been a foul and the penalty should have, been, should have been given. I think one of the offsides was offside. I'm not too sure which one it was. But I think it was the first one where Harvey Barnes is he's moving to the goalkeeper's right. And I don't think he's in his, vision, in his line of vision. Um, and, and I compared it to uh, Matip's goal last week at Ellen Road, where I think it was Mane who was in a similar position to Barnes, moving away from the goalkeeper. He is standing in an offside position. He's not interfering with play. Um, I just think it's the consistency of these decisions that are letting people down at the end of the day. But... Should have got something from the game in, in the end, whether it be a point. Um, but as I say, you can't give teams a two-goal lead, two-goal start and, and expect to get anything from the game, sadly. And once again, last season, we, we spoke about set-pieces, corner kicks, free kicks in the final third. Leicester did concede far too many. It, it was an Achilles heel last season. And, and this season already, we've seen Leicester concede goals from that those types of situations. Yeah, let's talk about the, the decisions then, the key decisions in the game. Um, the, the first one, Jerry, I think probably most people can agree. It did look like a foul on Yannick Vestergaard, didn't it? As you mm. said, no problem. His, his hand was in the air. It did strike his hand, but it's just it was the foul and the build-up, I think, that has frustrated a lot of Leicester fans. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a clear foul. Uh, he's very, very clever in what he's doing, by the way. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he showed, showed a lot of nice, let's call it, because as he's grabbing his arm, Vestergaard struggling to, to get away from him. At the key moment where he's flipped his arm behind his body to handle the ball, Mopai's let go of him, as if to say, but when you slow it down and the VAR's going to it, uh, gone into it, you can clearly see that Mopai's grabbing and stopping, and stopping Vestergaard from getting any kind of you know, acceleration off the ground or any kind of momentum towards the ball. Uh, so, and, and as you said, they don't take that into consideration. I think all they're looking at is, does he handle the ball? And if they did analyse that uh, decision from start to finish, I'm sure the first infringement was Mopé grabbing the arm of uh, Vestergaard. You know, the, you know, we spoke yesterday, there was more to it than that, though, Dan, as well. The fact that 
Shane Duffy was allowed four or five yards to, to come running in from the edge of the box and get that leap. Whether or not, whether or not, first the guard uh, had it been arms had it been grabbed by Mope, would he have got anything on the ball? I don't know because you can't afford to give people that kind of room, especially someone like Shane Duffy who's got a fantastic leap on him. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, it was a handball that was given for you know someone who was off balance and being impeded. That's down to VAR. You know, people said we'd have nothing to talk about when VAR came in. Well, <laughs> it's the complete opposite, isn't it? You know, we're, we're now questioning the decisions that VAR are given, even though they can see the whole picture. And that's where people are getting frustrated and, you know, scratching their heads. You could see, Tony, couldn't you, Yannick Vestergaard, as soon as it happened, I think he obviously knew it, it hit his hand. He knew that would probably have been given a penalty. He went straight away to the referee. He was holding his wrist, wasn't he? He was trying to say, look, that's what was happening to me. I was being dragged down. and But, but it obviously was all in vain. Yeah, it, it was, Dan. And you know, I think we all get a little bit frustrated with the VAR thing. I mean, the, the whole point of VAR is to get the correct decision. You know, was it handball? Was it a penalty? Yes, absolutely, 100%. But if you look at the reason that his arm's up in the air, then you then get a different perspective, a different view. Now, this is what we don't know is how many camera angles are they looking at? Do they just look at the one angle and go, oh, yes, it's hand penalty? Or do they look at it from four or five different... You know, it's all right, me, I was watching the highlights last night, Dan, at which point, you know, when you're doing a a highlight show, you can select three, four, five, six different camera angles. When it happens in real time, because that's what we're talking about, you know, you need to get the correct decision. So, all right, it might take a little bit longer, but let's make sure we look at all the angles available just to check, you know. And it was a clear foul by Mulpe. Absolutely, 100% clear foul. But they haven't seemed to have looked at that. And that's why it's was frustrating from Vesta's point of view because the whole point, as I said, of VAR is to get the correct decision. And it doesn't matter how long it takes. I know it's frustrating for fans, especially now they're back in the stadium. If it takes three or four minutes, it's very frustrating. We all know that. But you have to get the right decision. And I don't think that was the right decision, um, you know, unless it was certainly hard done by in terms of that penalty given. Usually, uh, Ewan and Tony are the odd ones out as, as being former strikers. We usually have what, Walshy, Matt and Jerry. Jerry, you're the odd one out today. So I'll come to you with this one because it's a, a defender's point of view. But there, when you've got a, a, a forward, a striker that is grabbing you a little bit like that, I'm sure both Ewan and Tony would have done that themselves to, to block defenders off. How difficult is it? Because if you do that to a striker, <laughs> you can give a penalty away. Whereas mm. a striker, the worst that's going to happen to him is he gives a free kick away. So obviously the strikers in that instance have, have the upper hand, don't you? So how do you counteract that as, as a defender? Well, it's pretty basic. I think first and foremost, what I will say is that Vestergaard was targeted yesterday from both defending and attacking set pieces. And what I mean by that, Mope would stand on him because Leicester uh, have a, uh, you know, they, they, a zonal marking, yeah? And to a certain degree, so do so did Brighton. So when they were, when Leicester were defending corners, Mope would go and stand on him. And when Leicester were attacking corners, it was Veltman who was going uh, really tight on Vestergaard, not allowing him any room to move. And I think if you watch it back in the replay, you see Veltman just slap onto him. And the only way you get away from that, Dan, is by stopping him from holding you in the first place. Yeah. And you, you, if you know what's coming, or you think someone's getting a little bit too close for comfort in your personal space on a the pitch, then the easy option is just to nudge him off you. 
and get him away from you. It's as simple as that. And if he's if he's holding you, or he's getting a bit too close, then you you you, uh, you can shout to the referee and say, "Ref, just watch him here." You know, I think he's going to try and hold me or stop. He's going to try and impede me attacking the ball. So you have got options as a defender to try and stop that. But the most basic one, you know, best of cards, six foot five, six foot six, whatever he is. Lopez about five ten. See you later, sunshine. Off your pop. And that didn't happen. You know, he was allowed to go in and grab the guard and, and, you know, basically root him to the floor. And sometimes you just got to use a bit of physical force to make sure that you have enough room for yourself to go and attack the ball. So that was obviously 1-0 to Brighton. You and then at the break, I think Brendan Rodgers obviously will have been very disappointed with that first half performance. And, and you did see a different Leicester in that second half, apart from obviously the, the first, what, five or ten minutes when Brighton did make it 2-0. Yeah, I mean, he made the change, didn't he? He took off James Madison, brought on Adam Luckman, who looked sharp, he looked lively. Um, and if, if, if you're going to play with a, a, a 4-3-3, I think you have to either include Luckman or Ian Acho. I mean, Ian Acho must be scratching his head thinking what he's done wrong here. I mean, because he, he wasn't brought on yesterday until the, the 75th minute. When, when Leicester are losing the game, they're chasing the game. And for me, he hasn't been given enough opportunity in the Premier League this season. I, I, I mean, had a great season last season for, for, for the football club. Um, and at the minute, you know, does James Madison, is he doing enough in games to, to be starting on a regular basis? He's had a slow start. And I don't think that if you're going to go with, with three up top like, like Leicester did yesterday, I don't think that quite suits James Madison because he hasn't got the pace of of, of Avadi or, or Harvey Barnes. Um, so I, I, I do think that 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 maybe one of those Lookman or Ianacho would have been better suited to have started yesterday. But when when you can see it's a sloppy goal, you know, free header for for Welbeck in the six yard box. Who's picking him up? That zonal marking again. It's, it's disappointing. Um, so. Overall, Dan, it's, it's, it was a disappointing afternoon, you have to say. And looking at it now, two wins in five, probably a disappointing start to the season. Yeah, we actually spoke, Jerry, before the game, didn't we, about set pieces and about yeah. defending them because we, we talked about that back three of Brighton and, and how they are potent going forward. And, and it was just frustrating, really, to see what happened in the end. Dan, at the end of the day, set pieces, you know, uh, sorted the outcome of this game. It's as simple as that. Four set pieces, uh, four goals, two disallowed, one penalty and one in the back of the net. And that shows you how important set pieces are. You know, and everyone goes on about general play. Yes, Leicester scored a great team goal in general play. But... In yesterday's game, all the decisions and all the goals came from set pieces. And that just shows, I mean, as I say, you can't stay highly enough how important they are. I mean, you look at Welbeck's goal. He's allowed to just stroll into that near post space. Everyone's watching the ball. No one's even picking up the run. It's not even a run, it's a jog. So you've got enough time to go and get tighter to him. But because he, no one gets tight to him, he's just allowed to stroll into that space. It's a, it's a great ball in as well, by yeah, the way. Uh, so, taking off and away from that, pinpoint ball into the box. And it's a simple header. All he has to do is flick it. 
just hit his head, his forehead on it, and it's it's automatically taking it towards a goal. I think that's the frustrating thing, is when you actually break the goal down and you see the movement of Welbeck, it's not this magical run that he's bamboozled Leicester's defence. He's just strolled, literally just walked into that near post position. Thank you very much. Uh, Leicester did then get a goal back, Tony. We'll talk about how good that goal was from a, a team point of view in a minute. Um, but we might as well, because we're on the, the topic of, of the decisions and of set pieces, speak about the first of the two disallowed goals. Adam Ola-Luckman looked as if he'd, he'd got a, a first goal for the club, didn't it, until the, the flag went up? Yeah, he did. And, uh, you know, it was hugely disappointing. I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in Harvey Barnes' position, um, Dan, because, you know, that was when, when I played for all my teams that I played for. You know, my role at the corner... Basically, because like, let's be honest, I'm four foot six. I'm not going to win a header, am I, when a corner comes in? I'll leave that to Euron and Tanks to go and attack the ball or Matt Elliott or whatever, you know. So, you know, my, my role was quite simple. It was to stand on the goalkeeper. And you want to get as close to the goalkeeper as you can. And if, if possible, legally, I know it's different now because there's cameras everywhere. I understand that. But legally, you've got to try and stop the goalkeeper coming out to attack the ball to allow your centre forward, your centre half to attack the ball going into the corner. Um, but if... If the ball comes in and you know there's going to be a chance or whatever, if, when I played Dan, it was simple. You, you couldn't stand on the goalkeeper and everyone pushed out and because and, you'd be offside. So the point I'm making with, with Harvey is he's either got to come out to where level with the last defender and take your chances from that point of view, or you've got to step to one side. You almost can't stand on the goalkeeper because if you do, we've got this rule about line of sight and that, which... Listen, I, I, I don't know whether it's a good rule or not. We, we saw the goal at Norris, didn't we? The Leicester goal and Casper complained and obviously that goal was disallowed. Um, you know, so it can work in your favour. But if you're that man standing on the goalkeeper, you, you really are playing Russian roulette if you just stand on the goalkeeper. You've either got to move two yards to the right or you've got to get level with, with the last defender. And that's my only slight criticism of him. The first one, I think he probably was in the line of sight. I think that was a correct decision. The second one, for the life of me, I don't understand. Wilf, Wilf's put in a great header and Harvey is not in the line of sight. You know, yeah. you, you, yeah. you saw the, the, the clip last night, the one I saw from the referee's point of view, he's looking straight at it. And as he's looking at it, you can quite clearly see the goalkeeper yeah. and you, you know, Harvey's to the side of him. So I don't think he did a lot of wrong in the second one. The first one, he was perhaps, you could just call it just a little bit lazy in terms of going two yards to the right or two yards back on side. That's my, my only criticism. First one, I think, perhaps was the correct decision. Wilfrey's head up. I'm sorry, I just don't understand that one. Yeah. I think judging from, you know, reactions and stuff on, on Twitter from Leicester fans, they've even said that themselves, you and a little bit. They've talked about the three decisions. They said they disagree with, obviously, the, the penalty. They said the first one, they understand why it's been disallowed because he, he is in, in the line of sight. Yeah. Very yeah. similar to the Casper Schmeichel one at Norwich a few weeks ago. But it's the third one that, that they are frustrated by. Yeah, and, and that, that's what leaves you scratching your head, Dan, as what they are looking at. And obviously it's different individuals that, that get, get these VAR decisions to, to, to look at. And I, I, as I said to you at the beginning of the programme, I looked at the Matip goal last week and it was very, very similar to Harvey Barnes. Or the... the, the Indeed, he had a where Harvey Barnes, he's, he's taken two, three, three steps to the goalkeeper's right. He's not in his vision. OK, he's standing in an offside position. I think we, we'd all admit that. But is he interfering with play? No, he's not. 
the goalkeeper still isn't getting that header. And, and it was the wrong decision. It was the wrong decision. And, and I say, that's, it's the lack of consistency when, when they do look at these goals. Um, that's what's disappointing. And, you know, no wonder Leicester fans were, weren't happy with at least two, two of those three decisions. Because for me, and I think the, the boys have alluded to them, that they got them wrong. It's usually my job to play devil's advocate, Jerry, but I know that you kind of want to yourself, particularly with the, certainly the first one, you, you agree with the decision. Even then, that, that last one, you think that there is a, a small case for it. Well, I think, you know, if you're Harvey or if you're Brendan, then you have a word. I think Tony's explained it uh, perfectly well there. I think if you're going to stand on the keeper and you've already been given offside, then you don't make the same mistake twice. And I know, Ken, what you're saying, that he, he moved to the side of the keeper. But I, I, I think that if he's, going to stay, if he's going to block the keeper initially, he has to come back onside. So when the ball's about to be played in, he nudges the keeper, puts him off balance to stop him from coming for it, and then he gets out back into an onside position. And that's just the, that's just the, you know, to make sure that he doesn't get caught in the same position again. And when we're talking about it, I know what the lads are saying. They're saying it, it, he wasn't interfering with play. He wasn't in the line of sight of the goalkeeper. It should have been given, but it wasn't. It was disallowed. Now, if he does exactly what I've just explained, i.e. initially stands on the keeper, gives him a little gentle nudge, and then gets back onside, Wilfred heads a ball, there's no decision to make from the referee. And I think after you've just been caught offside, which, this face of being caught offside from a corner is pretty rare. It's not often that happens. And to be caught offside from two corners when the balls ended up in the back of the net, I don't think I've ever seen that before in a game of football. And so what I'm saying is, after the first one, you get a message on the Harvey and say, Harvey, stand on the keeper and then get yourself back onside, like Tony said. Do you think with the introduction of, of VAR, Tony, and, and this, the whole line of sight thing from corners, that teams might stop putting players on the line? I know with zonal things, that not many teams have players on each post. The corners, but now obviously Brian didn't yesterday. Do you think all teams will start doing that because of, the, of that potential offside of, of the man on the keeper? Well, football's always evolving, isn't it? I think we saw the um, the Spurs Chelsea game yesterday. There was a header. I think was it Rudy Guru scored, and it, maybe if there had been a guy on the far post corner, he might have might have got his foot on it and cleared it. So you know, I've always believed having a player on on what you would call the far post is always a good thing because. If that ball's whipped in, you know, invariably players will try and flick it towards the far post to try and score. So it's always good to have someone on the far post. But, you know, with, with the new ruling, Dan, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the line of sight is such a vague thing, isn't it? And, you know, what, what, what constitutes line of sight? You know, does it, does it mean someone standing right in front of me like that? Or is it someone just there? Yeah, I, I, I don't quite get the rules. I think sometimes they make it very, very difficult, the lawmakers... Um, as I said in, in my day, you was either offside or you weren't on, offside. You know, it, it was it was simple, absolutely simple. And on both occasions, Harvey would take his right. He was offside both occasions. So back in the eighties, nineties, offside, not even an issue. But now, <coughs> excuse me, you're, you're talking about whether a player is interfering with play, is in the line of sight, and ultimately, all it does is make the referee's job even harder. And then you then introduce VAR, and that makes it an, an absolute minefield. So um, I think it needs to be simplified a little bit. Play, 
players, managers, clubs, staff will always try and manipulate the rules to get that little bit of advantage, which is so you know crucial in football. So um, whatever rules you bring in, you know the players will try and bend the rules and push the rules as much as they can. But I think it probably needs to be simplified a little bit just so that everyone understands it, because otherwise we're all scratching our heads. We don't know what's going on. Right, let's move away then from the decisions in the game, Ewan, and we can talk about the, the Leicester goal. Um, I think I said yesterday on, on Matchday Live, if Leicester had won that game, this goal would be up for a goal of the month awards, potentially even a goal of the season award, because of how good it was as a team move. I mean, it still might, obviously, but, but it just always is it's nicer to talk about in a victory. I mean, that's that's what Leicester are capable of, Dan, with the players that they've uh, that they've got now. Uh, I mean, it was a fantastic move down that right-hand side. Uh, Ricardo, strong run, but then just a little one-twos and fantastic ball in by, uh, by Yuri Tillemans. You know, he, he put it into an area where he knows Jamie Vardy's going to be. And I think it was a, a similar goal to the one he scored at Carrow Road. Um, similar sort of a of an area and and that's he 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 feeds off that just Jamie Vardy <coughs> made good contact and it was it was a it was a really 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 good team goal and you just thought then having scored on what 61 minutes with over half an hour of injury time to go that Leicester were going to get back in into the game but yeah it was a it was a magnificent goal you have to say and, and Jamie Vardy he's, he started the season really really well I think he looks sharp he looks quick as 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 he just doesn't get any any older, does he? He just carries on performing to such a high level. Um, three goals in, in in his five Premier League appearances now, and that is a worry, Dan. You know, what five goals in 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 total? And that that is a slight worry that they're not scoring the goals that 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 they did last season. I think in their first or opening five games last season, they they scored twelve. So I think I think that is a slight concern because you can't always depend. That you can't always put the pressure on Jamie Vardy to, to to be scoring the goals. It's just not right. You know, other people need to contribute. Yeah, we'll talk about Jamie Vardy in a little bit more depth um, very shortly. But we've got to mention again, Ricardo, Jerry. If, if if Jamie Vardy's had a good start to the season, Ricardo has also had a, an excellent start to the season as well. He was instrumental, wasn't he, on that right hand side? Well, all Jamie Vardy's goals have come from that side, haven't they? It's, it's as simple as that. All the three goal, three league goals that he scored have all come from Ricardo's side, and it's Ricardo who's been you know, the, <laughs> the main instigator in providing him. All right, he wasn't a direct assist yesterday, but it was him who started the move off with Lookman down that right-hand side and a lovely little bit of interplay. And what was even more important was his, his uh, pass appreciation to Telemans so he could play it in first time. He set it just at a lovely pace for him. Obviously on his right foot so he could bend it. Okay, that's not difficult, but the pace on that pass to Telemans so he could just whip it in first time was absolutely perfect. And obviously Tillman's balls, as we all know, top class, world class. And again, as we all know, Jimmy does the rest inside the box. His movement's phenomenal. Uh, so yeah, but I thought along with you and I thought Lookman was had a great game when he came on. And them two straight away got into a rhythm, got into an understanding. You know, that that wasn't the only time that them two, you know, had you know, uh, passing combinations down that right-hand side. And, you know, with a bit more uh, time on the pitch together, those two, they could cause some real problems. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, obviously, about the, the Millwall game a bit on, on Wednesday in a moment, Jerry. But 
looking specifically at the next Premier League game with Burnley at the weekend. Do you expect Adamola Luckman to be in the, the starting eleven for that one? Well, he's given himself a great opportunity, hasn't he? You know, who knows what Brendan's thinking is uh, when it comes to different teams. He sort of work, tries to work out different weaknesses and then put, you know, players on the, on the, the pitch that he thinks can, uh, you know, can exploit those weaknesses. So, you know, who knows? But definitely, look, man, he, he looks sharp at the minute, doesn't he? And as I said, more importantly is that understanding that your your uh, your wide players have, i.e., that your full back and your and your and your wide attacking player have, and if you're causing problems down, you know, down the sides of the opposition's uh, flank, then you know you you're going to be giving yourself a good opportunity of starting a game, and that was that was on show yesterday. And I said it didn't happen just for the goal. It happened on numerous occasions down that right-hand side. So he's got to definitely be in my shout. I think also, like Ewan says, sorry, you know, Kelechi and Nacho as well. You know, he looks sharp at the minute. He looks hungry. Mm. You know, I think, you know, okay, what he, what he come on 70-odd minutes? You know, maybe... 75, yeah. Kelechi getting a bit more game time as well because every time he's come on this season, he's looked really sharp. He's looked hungry. He looks strong, you know. You know when his back's to goal, he's he's, you know, holding off defenders. So there, you know, there's a few players knocking at the door at the minute. Yeah, we could maybe see both of them potentially in action, of course, on Wednesday evening in the Carabao Cup against Millwall. Of course, you can follow all the action as ever on Match Day Live on LCFC TV. Uh, Tony, what, what do you make of that? Obviously, a draw against your, well, sorry, sort of say your rivals. You also played for Millwall for a little bit of time as well. So it's a, it's a tough place to go, obviously, as, as we all know. Yeah, it is, yeah. I, I those glorious 19 minutes playing for Millwall at the end of my career, Dan, I'm trying to forget. Um, yeah. Uh, Tony, can I just ask you, did you get, on, did you get slated by the fans when you played oh, for Oh, absolutely. Yeah, did you? 100%. Yeah. They absolutely destroyed me and ripped into me because they know I'm a West Ham boy. Yeah. But that's, that was my, my silly fault for signing for him, I think. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it, it's, actually, it's actually a really good club, Millwall. There's a lot of good people there, a very well-run football club. Um, ex-teammate of mine as the manager now, Gary Rowett, and um, he's done a he's done a good job there, and he's trying to build, he's trying to get the club into a position where they can challenge. They've not been in the top flight for what nearly thirty years now, I think Millwall. So you know they're they're slowly trying to build, and it's very difficult to get out to that, uh, out of that championship. We all know that, um, but it's going to be a tough game. I think a lot will depend on Brendan's selections. The boys have touched on it. Do you play Lookman? Do you play Ian Acho? You've then got a tough Premier League game coming up. Then you've got a, a Europa League game, and I think this is the difficulty for Brendan. You know, it's it's there's been quite a few new players arrive at the football club. There's been a hell of a lot of injuries, which has caused all sorts of problems. So Brendan's like that. He's trying to juggle. He's trying to get players fit. He's trying to get players into the team. He's then trying to pick the right team. And of course, you can't afford to lose too many games in the process. So I think it's you know it's it's, a, it's going to be a really tough game. Listen, Millwall might make a load make a load of changes as well. That often happens in the League Cup. Now, yeah. if they make seven or eight changes, you would confidently expect Leicester with the squad they've got to go there and win the game. But it's one of those games. Roll your sleeves up, boys. Get stuck in. You know, don't be intimidated. Put off by the crowd. Go and do a professional performance. If it's a one-nil board board boring game it doesn't matter and get through into the next round of the League Cup Do you think Millwall will, will make changes Tony or, or do you see them really going at this with, with the same team that, that's played I think they 
played Swansea last weekend and then Coventry they drew at the weekend as well. So they'll, they'll, they'll probably fancy their chances a little bit in this game. Well, they will do it, but it'll just depend on the changes, won't it? It depends on what, what Gary's thinking. I'm sure he, he will be more concerned about you know his league performances and that. And sometimes they view these competitions as a, as a great opportunity to give, you know, might be a couple of promising young kids that they bring a lot of kids through that system, Millwall. So there might be a couple of young kids who get a chance. So it, it will all depend on the, on the selection and that. But I think realistically, most championship sides, they don't really look at the, the League Cup as a competition they're really going to win. You know, we, we very rarely see a, a team from outside the top flight go and win that League Cup. So I think they might make a lot of changes. And if they do, Leicester should take full advantage of that. What are you expecting, Ewan, on, on Wednesday? I think whatever um, Brendan puts out, I think it'll be a strong 11 because he has got the squad, um, the strength and depth in that, in that squad to do that. I do agree with TC. I, I do think that Gary Rowett, looking at their, their league form, it isn't good. Okay, they've, I don't think they've lost in their last five, but they've drawn their, their last three, but they've only won once in the championship in, in, in eight games this season. I think they're 18th in the championship. They, they, they need that, that winning feeling again. And I look at both teams, you know, Leicester won win in five. They need to get a win under their belt, so get a bit of momentum before you know, that, that game. And it is a big game against Burnley now because of, of what happened yesterday. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if Gary Rowett goes, makes quite a few changes because as, as TC alluded to then, I think teams in, in the Championship, they tend to do that nowadays, uh, tend to make six, seven, eight changes um, if, if, they're, if they're in the League Cup. They'll take, take the FA Cup far more seriously. But yeah, especially at this early stage in, in the Carabao Cup, I would expect Gary Rowett to make a few changes. Leicester will have had the taste, Jerry, of, of silverware, weren't they? Winning the FA Cup last season, winning the Community Shield at, at the start of this. So they, they always take the League Cup, the Carabao Cup, fairly seriously, don't they? I think Brennan Rodgers takes every competition he's in fairly seriously. So, so we expect, again, I'm sure that'll continue on Wednesday. No, I think, you know, the, the lads have already touched on it. When you look at the bench yesterday uh, and you look at the players that weren't involved, that weren't on the bench, you know, Leicester can make... Well, the only issue they've got is at centre-half for me uh, because they've only got two fit. Well, apart from Daniel Amate, who do you think he might come in and play alongside Sorrentino if Vestergaard gets a rest? But that is, you know, that's the only position at the minute where they're, you have to say they're a little bit short on mm -hmm. experience and quality as it's centre-half. So it's either Vestergaard and Sorrentino or Daniel Amate comes in and plays alongside one of those two, I think, uh, unless Castagna goes in. Uh, other than that, then you can make changes all over the park and still have enough quality on the pitch. And that's what Brendan wanted, because he's got, you know, you're talking about the League Cup, and then you've got the European competition, Europa League. It's vital minutes on the pitch for some of the lads who haven't had that much time at the minute, i.e. the likes of Pats and Decker and people. Lookman, who was seen, obviously, for a half on, or half yesterday. So you're going through the list of players that could possibly play, and all you can see is quality throughout the squad. So is it going to uh, weaken the team or weaken the team uh, if you if you make a load of changes against Millwall? 
debatable, but not really, because the qualities are, and all the players that Brendan have brought in have got quality. They're all internationals. They've all won something from the clubs I've come from. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a strong squad. And, and Brendan, like you say, he, he will not want to lose this game. He will not want to go to Millwall and lose this game, Brendan, even if he does make the changes that are probably predicted. We, we've talked, Jerry, haven't we, about the, the, the fixtures and, and how September was always going to be a busy month. To be fair, I think every month now this season will be a busy month for Leicester with the fact they're in the Europa League, hopefully staying in that competition longer this season, staying in, in both of the Cups as well. It, it's an opportunity for this big squad to be used, isn't it? And, and you say that if he, for example, makes eight changes, a lot of people might look and say, always. Oh, He's really rested everyone, but it isn't a case of that really anymore as, as all three of you have been referencing. This squad is so good now and so strong that eight changes, nine changes, even 11 changes doesn't actually make a huge difference to the starting 11. No, absolutely not. And I think, you know, what, what sort of brought it to light or brought it home was when I looked at the bench on Thursday for the game on Thursday night against Napoli and it was absolutely stacked, you know, with quality on it. As I say, one or two people can't even get on the bench that you would think would, could get, would get on the bench or would even start. <clears throat> so I think, and I think, you know, people have to be patient in these competitions, especially at the early stage of the League Cup. People need minutes in their legs. They really do. You know, you've got, I've said it before, said it again, you're bringing in players for tens of millions of pounds. You're, you're paying them umpteen thousands of pounds a week for them to sit on the bench. At some stage, you have to have a duty occur and give them minutes on the pitch because they have to try and repay the money and the investment that the club have made in them. And so this is a perfect opportunity for the, uh, on Wednesday night for that to happen. Uh, right, Tony, let's talk about Jamie Vardy. So he made his 250th Premier League appearance yesterday against Brighton. He also scored his 150th goal for the club in all competitions. Two brilliant milestones happened to come in in the same game. And, and it underlines how incredible he's been for this football club. Yeah, I think, you know, Dan, I've been on this show so many times, haven't I? You know, just, uh, you know, drooling about Jamie because he, he just, uh, as an ex-centre forward, you know, he, he, he's, he, he's just getting better and better. And um, I, I'm, I'm going to say something here, Dan, and, you know, very, very sad news yesterday. We lost an absolute legend of football. Yeah. Guy called Jimmy Greaves. Now, Jimmy for me was head and shoulders above every great goal scorer. There's been, there's been great goal scorers. Jimmy was the best. You look at the stats, you can't deny that fact. But the reason I've mentioned Jimmy Greaves because if you look at the last 10 years of Premier League football, Jamie Vardy is up there in the top three strikers, goal scorers, if you like, of the Premier last 10 years. He's up there in that top three. And that is the biggest compliment I can pay him. It's an incredibly hard position to play. You and Will will agree with what I'm saying here. It's, it's such a hard position to play. And in modern day football, a lot of the time, like Jamie is, you're up there on your own. You're expected to be the complete centre forward, the complete team player. Oh, and by the way, you've got to score some goals as well. And, you know, and that's, it, he's just getting better and better. I know he's not getting any younger, but I've mentioned it before with his experience, He's getting in positions. The run for the goal yesterday, you know, we saw that wonderful goal he scored against Wolves where he cut across the defender, scored at the near post. You don't always have to go to the near post. If you, sometimes you just hold your run, bend it out to the far post, and then you arrive at the right time. He makes things look so easy. He's a fantastic goal scorer. 
And I just hope that he plays for Leicester for the next two, three, four seasons. We're talking about Ronaldo doing that for Manchester United. He's 36. What's Jamie? 34, I think he is. Mm. You know, he's still got plenty of time left in, in those legs. And with the experience he's got now, it, you know, he knows when to make his runs, how to make his runs. He, he's been, for me, he's been one of the top goal scorers in the Premier League for the last 10 years. Okay. He came to the Premier League when he was 27, which again underlines yeah. the longevity that he's got. 200 games yeah. in that time, having come in at 27, in itself is a brilliant record. Dan, I've just looked at his career stats and he's played 442 games in all competitions. He scored 212 goals. That's unbelievable at the level that, that he's played at. Um, his fitness levels are second to none. His desire and his hunger is still there. I think he's so infectious, not just off the pitch, but I think on the not just on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. You know, he's, he's the life, life and soul of, of that team. And as TC said there, it's not easy these days. You know, I played it on a handful of occasions when you're up there on your own and it can be frustrating. You're not getting a touch. <coughs> you're going through long periods of the game with, without any sort of service coming into you. Um, he doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't get frustrated with his teammates. He carries on doing the same runs. Um, his movement's unbelievable. He hasn't lost a yard of pace, which is incredible for for, for someone of of, of his age. Um, long may it continue, because he is he is vitally important for Leicester City, as we all know. And it's clear, Jerry, that he's not lost any of that desire to carry on playing and desire to score goals as well, and and to let's say Russell opposition fans <laughs> at the beginning of this season, what he did to the Wolves fans when he scored just shows that he is still in this for a long time and he's certainly got the quality to be in this for a long time. I think that's probably one of the biggest compliments. I mean, the lads have gone through TC, obviously was a top goal scorer, uh, a box player, so he knows exactly what Jimmy, what he brings to the team. But it's his mental fortitude. Like you say, his... Ewan's mentioned a good point as well. He doesn't get frustrated with his teammates when things don't go his way. He keeps making those runs. And in some games, 80 to 90% of the time, he won't get the ball for the run he's yeah. made. And that is, so that becomes very easy for a centre forward to get frustrated with his teammates, but you never see it. And then his mental fortitude to still have that hunger. You know, and that desire to keep making those runs, to keep getting in the right positions, to keep taunting opposition fans when he scores, when he's getting abuse from them. I mean, he lives for it, doesn't he? Let's face it, he lives for playing football. And, you know, if I was the manager, I'd be wrapping him up in bubble wrap, like in <laughs> Cameroon, placing him in a gold casket and putting him into the deep freeze for four or five days and then rolling him out. Right, Jamie, on you go. Because, like Tony, I believe he's got two more seasons after this. I really do. I think he's got that in his legs. You know, Ewan's mentioned he hasn't lost that pace. He, he still has that 15, 20-yard scamper mm. where he can get on the end of it. And his football brain is improving all the time. And that's, that's the key thing as well. The older he gets, the more his brain will develop i.e. he knows where to pick holes in opposition defences. He knows where to make his runs. We've, we've seen it already with the three goals. Classic centre-forward box play with his movement. 
absolutely perfection. The timing of his runs in the box. Bang, three goals, thank you very much. Uh, oh, he don't miss games either. Sorry, he doesn't, he doesn't miss games either. He, he no. very rarely gets injured. You know, you look at his appearances in the Premier League, he doesn't miss too many games. I know he's, he's had, he had a bit of a hernia problem last season. I think, I think he, he's, 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 he's been quite lucky with, with, he hasn't picked up any serious injuries, you know, which, gives you, which does give you more longevity. Um, he obviously looks after his body. He, he, he manages his body really well. And Brendan Rodgers, he'll, he'll give him as much rest as he needs, as long as he's ready for the Saturday to perform like, like he has done since he's been at Leicester. That's the most important thing. It doesn't matter if he has three, four days off. You know, he, the most important thing is that he is, he is physically ready to go on a Saturday. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to bring up as a final point, Ewan, is, is the fact that he's got Brendan Rodgers as his manager. He, he will be able to manage his game time. Do you know what? They, they've, they've got that really good, close relationship. You, you see it when, when off, off, off camera when, when Brendan's going on and you know, he's, he's, he's talking to the players after the game. And they've got that, I think they've got a really, really close bond. And Brendan knows what he's got. He's got an absolute gem in, in Jamie Vardy. Right, uh, let's uh, move on then. So the other Premier League games took place at the weekend. Tony, there is, unfortunately for you, uh, only <laughs> one place to start, really. Uh, well, talk us through that that last sort of three or four minutes. Uh, well, I think it's sort of almost quite predictable that Jesse Lingard would score against West Ham, bearing in mind how well he did last season. And it was a fantastic goal as well, wasn't it? And then, of course, the penalty was given... Personally, I, I did think it was a penalty. As soon as Martin Atkinson went over to look at the screen, you knew he was going to give it. <coughs> and then Rice picks up the ball and uh, they make the substitution. And, you know, I've had, after the game, there's so many fans moaning about the decision. And, um, you know, to be fair to David Moyes, he's taken responsibility. Um, if the ball goes in, no one says a word. It's a masterstroke, genius, you know, from the manager. If, if the penalty saved, which it was, then it's, you know, it's a, an awful decision. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit split on it. I mean, you know, Mark Noble, I think, he's, I think he scored 38 out of 42 penalties, Dan. So, in a way, it was the correct decision because you're bringing on your main penalty taker. But having said all that, and the boys will know what I'm going to say here, if you have a warmed up, if, you, if you've not yeah. touched the football and you're coming on the field of play when you haven't touched the ball and it's such an important game and such an important penalty to take... I think it, you know, it, it must be really, really difficult. We saw the same scenario in the Euros, didn't we, in the final with Sancho and Rashford. I don't think either of them have touched the ball. And then you're taking penalties in the Euros final and that. And, you know, I think it's, it's a dangerous game to play. Like I say, if it goes in, everyone says, oh, brilliant, David Moyes is a genius. If he misses it, then you get the, the stick that follows with it. But it was a really strange, surreal experience. It really was. And to be fair, I thought West Ham sort of deserved the draw on the day as well. You know, credit Man United got three points. But I think West Ham deserved the draw. Uh, Jerry, I think a lot of Leicester fans brought it up. And it, it did remind me. Do you remember a couple of seasons ago, I think it was the 18-19 season at Spurs at Wembley, um, Leicester got a penalty and Jamie Vardy was brought off the bench. It was about 60 minutes into the game. <laughs> And his first touch took the penalty. Hugo Lloris saved it. Now, Jamie Vardy scored about five minutes later to make up for it. But it, it must be a difficult skill to, to come on without having touched the ball and then take a penalty like that. Well, you know, just going back to what Tony said, Mark Noble, again, he's knocking on a bit, isn't he? And, and sitting on the bench for the whole game, not being warm, he, he probably was as stiff as I am right now, sat here. <laughs> <laughs> and then to be asked to come on, 
in an absolutely crucial moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this, this, this analyse this properly. You're being asked to come on a pitch, you're sat there enjoying a tea and a coffee, chatting to the lads next minute. Oi, Noble, on, take that penalty, get us a point. What? And I know, okay, Mark Noble's been through the mill and he's been there, seen it, and done it with West Ham. Uh, and he is a main penalty taker and a very good penalty taker as well. But I'm sorry, you know, you, you're telling me West Ham haven't got enough quality on the pitch yeah. for someone else to go and take that penalty. Yeah. Whether it's Stekman Rice or Suchek or one of the other guys, Lanzini, whoever, you're telling me not one of those lads had the bottle to go and take that penalty. I'm not saying, like Tony says, it totally great. It was a, a manager's decision. But if you're not warm, you're not stretched, you haven't kicked through any balls, I don't see how you can step up <clears throat> and give that penalty or, or, or strike that ball with the ferocity that it deserves to get it into the net. And that's exactly what happened. It was a side foot penalty. There was no body shape from Noble. It was an easy one for the keeper to, to, to guess right, in my opinion. And there was no real pace on the ball. It was a side foot. And I think in those situations, last kick of the game, crucial moment of the game, when you're stepping up, you're putting your foot through that. And that didn't happen. Uh, just a bizarre, a bizarre, it was just bizarre. Though. It was bizarre. It was bizarre. Yeah, well, that was it. Both both the games kicked off at two. Both had uh, bizarre moments in them. Um, you and final word to you. Any other games that took, took, your, uh, took your eye during the weekend? Proper statement from Chelsea yesterday. You know, winning, going to, to Spurs' new stadium and absolutely hammering three goals to nil. I think that's a real statement of, of intent. You know, they were a very, very good side last season. Defensively, they're rock solid. Now, with the inclusion of, of Lukaku up front, I think they've got a, an absolute great chance of, of, of winning the, the Premier League. And to be fair, I've got to mention Southampton going up to the Etihad and probably should have come away with, with the win. Had VAR once again maybe got the, the decision for the penalty, which I thought was a penalty. I can't remember who was dragged down. But, you know, to go up there, and especially the four Man City were in and scored 16 goals in their last three games, I think, to keep a clean sheet. I thought that was a really, really good performance by Southampton. Right, let's move on then. It's time for Football Jenga. Uh, the three of you all wry smiles. I don't think you're actually too happy the fact that you've got to do it. Uh, hopefully this one will, will take a little bit longer than previous ones have. For, for those of you that haven't, uh, the, the viewers, listeners that, that don't know what that is, this is Football Jenga. I'll give these guys uh, a theme and they've got to then take it in turns to give me an answer that relates to that. If they get it wrong or they repeat one, uh, they are out and then it is the, the last man standing basically. So with Jamie Vardy making his 250th Premier League appearance and scoring his 150th goal for the club on Sunday, I want you guys to name all of the Premier League teams that Jamie Vardy has scored a goal against. Um, and just with the way that I've got the setup, you and you're in my top left, so you can go first for me, please. I'm going to go um, West Bromwich Albion. Tony? Wolves. Jerry. Liverpool. Norwich. West Ham. Man City. Oh, Tiger, you've done me. Um, Everton. 
He must have scored against Chelsea, surely, somewhere along the line. Who did we play yesterday? Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to have scored against Burnley as well. Newcastle. Aston Villa. Everton. We've had that already. Who's oh. that? One of you said Everton. Might even have been. Yeah, it was a you, Tony. Yeah. Yeah, so you and you're out, I'm afraid. Just like last week, you've repeated oh. one. <laughs> <laughs> Terry's giving him the, the send off. Yeah, Ewan just wants to get out into the sun. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> right, it's between Tony and Jerry then. So Tony, Palace, Manchester United, Sheffield United. That was my one tone. I was keeping that as my as my banker, little Sheffield United, Bournemouth. Your one sides. Uh, Fulham. Is that right, Dan? Fulham. Uh, Arsenal. Have we not said that, no? No. no. Um, pressure's on now. Is it a Premier League, did you say, Dan? Is it Premier, Premier League? League Dan, yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear, mate. Uh, Today. <coughs> Watford. Watford, yeah. Good show. Leeds. <laughs> Leeds, correct. Swansea. <laughs> Today. Six to go. Six to go. <laughs> Manchester United. You've said that already. Okay. Yes. Thanks, as it goes. Well done, Tony. <laughs> yeah. Well done, Tony. Jerry, you've repeated one that you said yourself. Um, so right. you went in third. Jerry second. Tony's won it. Um, the teams you missed. Uh, there's six that you missed. Huddersfield, QPR, Southampton, Spurs. Southampton. No. And Sunderland. Sunderland. Ooh. I nearly, I was nearly going to go for Sunderland as well. And yeah, I thought, no. Surprised Miss Tottenham. Um, yeah, Tottenham's a big one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so well done to Tony Coy. Well done, Tony. On the old uh, and on that note, thank you very much to the three of you. Jerry, enjoy golf. Uh, Ewan, enjoy the south of France. And Tony, enjoy winning football Jenga. <laughs>